music. So, sounds like I'm about to spin a wheel. All right, I'm way, 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 way hot up here. So I'm hearing my own voice reverb off the walls, which sounds very dramatic. Hey, welcome everybody. Good morning. Glad to see you guys here. Welcome to Discover Community Church. You guys out there online, wherever you are, whenever you're listening with us or joining us, thank you for doing that. I want to take a second before I get to the message, though, and address um, mostly those of you who are out there watching us online. Um, We have, if you look around you, we have some empty seats. I know that if everybody who said that this was their church, this was the body of Christ that they engaged with, was here, we'd have to have two services to fill up all of the, to, to accommodate all of the people. The Lord has told me multiple times, I've gotten words from other people that that's going to happen, that we're going to have so many people that we have to have two services to open and open this up. But that doesn't just happen all at once. It happens when you guys invite friends, invite neighbors, invite family. It happens when you guys out there online who are watching me right now with a cup of coffee and your feet up on the coffee table You can't engage with the body of Christ that the Lord has called you to unless you're here. We need you here. These people, this body needs you here. I need you here. Scripture says we encourage one another. We lift one another up. That's what we do as a part of a body. It's so much more than just listening to a message. You can listen to great messages from teachers way better than me from all over the world at any time you want. And in some cases, that lets us get maybe a little bit lax in engaging with the body of Christ. You can't be the body of Christ sitting at home by yourself. We need you here. I'm asking you guys to invite a friend, invite a neighbor. Let's fill up these pews to the point to where we need to overflow and have a second service. Amen? I can't do it on my own. I need you guys. And you guys sitting out there with your coffee, drink your coffee today, next week. I'd love to see you guys here. No condemnation. I'm just asking you. I'd love to see you guys here. All right. We are kicking off our Easter series, and I am excited, two exclamation point excited, okay? Not just one. Not just one. I am I feel like the Lord has given me direction for this series um, that I am just, it's a burden on my heart that I just want to share with all you. That's why the series is called Peace Be With You. If you thought of one thing in our lives in general that is lacking, do you think peace would be, if not the top, one of the top few? Everything else flows from that. If you're talking about, well, you know, the economy is bad and, and uh, my, my paycheck doesn't go as far as it used to be and there are all these other problems going on in the world, really, if you boil those all down, it has a lot to do with our hearts and how we view the sovereignty of God and who's really in control of what is happening around the world. And if we had the peace the supernatural peace of Christ really manifesting in our lives, we would be able to face those things that happen in the world in a much different way. And our lives, for one, would look different. And I think the world would look different. So that's why we're talking about this. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, the 
the Easter season is, is celebrated in many different ways, okay? We are going to, at Discover, we're going to start with Good Friday. Well, we're starting now with our Easter series, but Good Friday will be the first thing that we commemorate, and then we will have our Easter celebration that Pastor Gabe just talked about, two services. Does it feel weird to anybody else to talk about Good Friday as a celebration? Normally, when we say Good Friday and Easter, Easter's a celebration. Easter's a celebration. Almost nobody would argue that. But then when we talk about Good Friday, it seems weird to talk about it as a celebration because what are we observing on Good Friday? It's the crucifixion and the death of Christ. It seems weird to celebrate that unless you understand what that accomplished. If we have a full understanding of what that moment on the cross where Jesus gave up his spirit for us, if we had an understanding of that moment, it would be a celebration. Even though in the worldly sense, the fleshly sense, it was a horrible event. But we can celebrate what it accomplished. And if we look at the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection three days later, each one of those things accomplished something different for us. That's what I want to highlight here as we talk about this. Most of us have heard the passage from John's gospel at one time or another, John 3.16. It's up here for those of you who maybe haven't heard it in a while. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you read that, Read that right there. You read it on a billboard. You read it on a sign. Somebody who's holding up at a sporting event. Anytime, generally in your heart, you're going to think, that's great news. That is good news. And I am so thankful for that. Did you know that there is a large segment of society that sees that as exclusionary and judgmental? Did you know that? I think as Christians, unfortunately, we are largely culpable in making that association. I hate that, that this most life-giving, loving, incredibly graceful, supernatural, loving statement could be seen as exclusionary. And here's the part I'm talking about. Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What do you mean, only those who believe in him? You mean, if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm gonna perish and I'm not promised eternal life? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. But there's so many people that see that and go, well, so then I'm, do I'm doomed to hell because your loving God doesn't like that I don't believe in his son. Okay. Nobody's dooming anybody to hell. If you've made that decision, it's of your own doing. Because the very next statement 
The very next verse, John 3.16, we see everywhere. How often do we see John 3.17? Not near as often, but here's what it says. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's an, that's an open invitation to anyone. There will be consequences for the decisions that we make, but the invitation, the lifeline, the eternal lifeline of Jesus is open to anyone who makes that decision. So for people to say it's exclusionary, it's judgmental, it's so one-sided, it's my way or the highway, you get to choose. We always get to choose. By sacrificing himself for us on the cross, Jesus took the punishment of all of our sins at once. That one moment, that one moment reconciled us to a holy God. Paid the price to a just God and broke the power of sin in our lives once and for all. His death on the cross accomplished that in that moment where he gave up his spirit. Now there's a second part. The prophet Isaiah said, by his stripes, we are healed. And the story of Christ could have ended right there. It could have ended with his death on the cross. That was the end of it. The price paid, you're reconciled to God, your sin's forgiven. And if it ended there, the gospel of Christ would just be another story of a good man martyring himself to save other people. If it ended right there, that's all it would be. That's why Paul said, I resolve to know nothing or teach nothing except Christ and him crucified. The second half of that is the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, the gospel is just half of the story. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead in triumph over death and the grave. Why is that important? This is where the other half of John 3.16 comes in. They will have eternal life. That's where the second half of that statement comes in. And not just life eternal life. But what good is eternal life if it's not an abundant life? Not just an abundant life, but a purposeful life. Not just a purposeful life, but a powerful life. Not just a powerful life, but a victorious life. And not just a victorious life, but a peaceful life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, did you know that your eternal life doesn't begin the day you die? Did you know that? Your eternal life, all these promises, started the day that you said yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's when it starts. That's when access to the power of the Holy Spirit starts. That's when access to supernatural peace starts. We don't have to wait until that day they put us in the ground. It starts the day that you say yes. And did you know that if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you could do that 
right now today. You don't have to take a bunch of classes. You could say yes today and have access to that supernatural peace, that abundance, that power, that victory that Jesus promised, especially considering the storms of this world. So much is going on right now. John 14, 27 records Jesus' words. Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. What does he mean by not as the world gives? Anybody here ever had a day where you wake up in the morning, you're full of joy, you're full of peace, you're looking forward to the day, everything, everything is going well, and let's just say, for example, you get a text from your boss at work. The server has crashed. I need you to be in here as soon as possible. Okay, your worldly peace of waking up shattered in a second, shattered with one text. Or you're having a great day, and you get a little ping coming through on your phone. You go, I wonder what that is. Oh, it's a notice from my bank of an overdraft. Peace gone, joy gone. It's fragile. The peace that this world offers you is fragile, and it can be stolen in a second. It can be stolen away in a second. The supernatural peace of Christ is different. That is the peace that will stand any storm. That was the, that's the peace that can't be stolen away. Though it's under attack and constantly trying to be stolen. But that's the reason why it matters. And for those of you who have not made that decision, let me tell you why it matters, not just on your deathbed, not just someday, but today. Have any of you Probably maybe one or two of you have had the statement where you've made the statement, this world is out of control. Anyone? Anyone not made that statement or had that thought in the last couple days? Because I'd love to hear how you do it. This world is out of our control. Anytime you look at a news headline or hear a news story, or even the most benign-seeming places that you look, anytime there's any sort of outside influence, you're going to hear doom and gloom about war, about politics, about crime, about culture battles, about the economy, plague, famine, the decline of the church in general. Anybody have any of their own personal ones they want to add to that? Constantly. You look at the news headlines just here in Denver in the last few days. Shootings at high schools. And everybody wants to look at and point at the instrument of that thing happening rather than the heart that created that opportunity. And it's not just that one poor, misguided, tormented boy who lashed out in a way that he probably didn't even understand. It's society in general has gotten to the point to where the heart is all about me, 
making sure I'm comfortable, making sure I get what I want, making sure I am never offended and I am never put out and I'm never inconvenienced. We have created a society that if you frown for any reason at all, the world's got to stop and cater to why are you not happy? And we've created this situation where people feel it's okay to lash out at others because of something they're missing inside. Do you think any of these problems are unique to our time in history? If you know much about history, you know they're not. They're not. These things, since the moment that there became more than one human being on this earth, there's been trouble. Varying degrees. But hear this when I say this, because it might be hard to wrap your mind around, and, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate it as well as, I, as God put it on my heart. Human beings left to their own fleshly impulses will either embrace and worship at the altar of lust and greed and violence, or they will be afraid of those things, and they will cower from those things. Left to your own fleshly impulses, there's hardly an in-between, because that's the way the world is, and that's where Satan wants you to be. I either want you pursuing these things or cowering in fear from these things. But there's another way. Jesus said, John 14, 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So how can we possibly be expected to not only live but thrive in a time like this, with chaos all around us, believe in God. Believe also in me. Let me take you back to a time, long, long time ago, 2,000 years ago, to a small house where the disciples of Jesus had gathered together following his death on the cross. They witnessed him be arrested, humiliated, crucified, killed, sealed in a tomb three days ago. They watched that happen. And in their minds, I know that they expected at some moment, regardless of what he had taught them for the weeks and months and years leading up to that moment, at some point, they were go- wouldn't you be going like, at any minute now, he's going to unleash on these people. Any minute now. Any minute now, all this is going to turn upside down and he's going to raise up in victory. You would be thinking that. Regardless of what he taught you, your mind wanted to hear, this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is not going to end in his death and being sealed in a tomb. That's what you'd be thinking. That's where these guys are at this moment. But it didn't happen. So here they are three days later, three days later going, what, what now? So let me read this scripture to you. It's from John, John 20, 19 to 21. 
Now, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, that would have been Sunday, and when the doors were shut and the disciples were together due to fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be to you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Let's look at that a little bit closer. They would have been, the disciples would have been very full of fear. It says right here, they were in this house with the doors shut for fear of the Jews. <coughs> Excuse me. And even though they're replaying the words of Jesus in their mind, trying to reconcile what they had seen, they were afraid. Their teacher, their rabbi, their Messiah had been killed. And now they, as his flock, were vulnerable. And there were wolves prowling around. See, the Jews would have been absolutely furious at this turn of events. They had hoped to put an end to this entire issue of Jesus, and now we have an empty tomb. Now what? So they would have been looking to the disciples as, did they steal the body? What happened? What happened here? They would have been full of every emotion except peace at that time which is why Jesus said twice in just that one little intro, peace be to you. I got this. Settle your hearts. There's work to do. See, there's no peace for those who fear death. When we talk about Jesus' resurrection from the grave, triumphing over death, death is the ultimate weapon of the enemy. He can torment you. He can cause all kinds of, uh, of unrest in your heart. He can cause strife. He can cause all these things and lie to you and lie to you and lie to you. But his ultimate weapon is death. And if we fear that, then he's got that over us. <clears throat> Matthew 16, 25 says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. <clears throat> What's he mean there? If you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. He's trying to point out that your life here on this earth is not the end of anything. If you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. You will find true life. That's what he's saying here. So the first words he says to them when he appears to them after the resurrection is, peace be with you. Which would have been, imagine how you'd be feeling. You're in that room. You're like, you're expecting a knock on the door with, with a bunch of people with pitchforks coming at you, trying to find you. At the very least, you're trying to reconcile, what do we do now? And instead, you suddenly see Jesus standing in your midst. Can you imagine the overwhelming peace like he says peace twice, but I can't imagine he had to say it very much. 
for the joy and the peace they would have immediately felt seeing him in their presence. But then after he lets, after he lets his presence sink in just a little bit more, he says it again, John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, probably because they're all screaming and yelling and jumping around, excited that he's back. So Jesus said to them again, peace be to you. Now this is where it's important. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Let me tell you why that's important. He calms them down. Calms them down. Peace, peace, peace. Peace be with you. Just as the Father sent me, I now send you. Why is that important that that ties together? Jesus is saying, the Father has sent me to do a job, and now I'm going to send you. John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything he has given me, I will lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. So this is where we come in. This is where the followers, the disciples of Jesus Christ come in to this whole story. Because without the supernatural peace that comes with the absolute assurance that our shepherd is always with us, always with us, we would never be able to accomplish our mission here on earth. And what's our mission here on earth? To spread the gospel of Jesus, to make sure those that the Father has given him, none will be lost. Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the tomb to give us his peace and his power over death and the grave. In other words, the single most powerful tool and threat that Satan has, done. Nothing. It doesn't mean anything anymore unless you fall into the trap of Satan thinking that your life here on earth is all that matters. As disciples of Christ, we're called to think bigger than that, to think of eternity. Hebrews 2, 14, 15 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. He's talking about physical death on this earth here, which is why the resurrection of Christ on Easter is so critically important to understand. That is also one of the biggest stumbling blocks for people who have a hard time reconciling all of this Christianity. All the stuff about you should do good to one another. You should love one another. You should serve the poor. You should do this. That's not so hard for most people to wrap their minds around. What is the hardest thing for people to wrap their minds around? Wait, he was dead and sealed in a tomb, and then suddenly he's alive again? So I want to share something with you before I conclude this message. We have these books. If you've never read it, Look how little it is. It's tiny. It's an easy read. It's called The Case for Easter. We've got a bunch of them back there by the door. If we run out, I will get more. What it is, a guy named Lee Strobel spent considerable time researching from a critical perspective 
the resurrection of Christ. How could this have happened? Did it happen? Did it really happen? Is it possible that it really did? Is this true? Are the stories true? All this. And he really initially attacked it from the perspective of an atheist, someone who didn't believe. And he converted to being one of the most powerful witnesses for Christ in the world today. Grab one of those books. They're free. If you've never read it, grab one. If you have a friend, if maybe you've read it, maybe you don't have any trouble reconciling any of this, but you have a friend or a neighbor, a family member, somebody who would benefit from that, please take one. If we run out, which I would love to run out, we'll get more. They're by the table in the back there. Remember when I said earlier, if you have not accepted Jesus, and I want to be clear on this, just because you look around this room and you see common familiar faces and you go, I'm sure we're all, I'm sure we're all Christians, I'm sure we all, there's a difference between knowing Christ, sitting in the church every Sunday and listening to a message and going, yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty good, and giving up and making him the Lord and Savior of your life. There's a difference. And so we can't assume just because we see a familiar face that they have made that decision. But if you haven't, you could make that decision today. And your eternal life of freedom from the power of the enemy and the peace that comes along with that could start today. And all you have to do is just say yes. Again, there's no classes, no signups, no... You just have to say yes. And with a repentant heart, say, Jesus, I am sorry of all the time that I've wasted trying to run away from you. And I'm going to turn to you now. And I'm going to accept that gift that you offer. It's really no harder than that. The freedom from fear that Jesus bought for you at a great price is meant to be used to continue battling the schemes of Satan here on this earth. That's why he gave it to you, so that you could battle the plans of Satan and so that you could go out and accomplish the mission that the Father gave him, which is now our mission. To save those who are perishing by spreading the word that there is a better way. So before we move into communion, I want to just let the words of Christ be the final word in this message today. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Amen to that. I expected an amen or two, but that's okay. That, that ship has sailed. No, don't, don't, even, don't even try to do it now. We're going to take communion right now, and often I just kind of explain how the communion elements work. And we, and we move into communion. But I want to I wanna maybe teach a little bit on this since I kept the message concise. The sacrament of communion. Anybody ever heard communion called a sacrament or called, maybe called the Lord's Supper? Okay, we've heard it called that. And it's one of the most sacred and empowering things that a Christian can do which is why Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this every time that we gather together. It's empowering. It's one of the few things surrounding 
Christ and Christianity in general that the world has not twisted for commercial gain. If we think about it, even just the symbol of the cross, there's billions of them out there, people manufacturing crosses and cross bumper stickers and jewelry, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. They're wonderful things. However, many of them aren't even Christian companies or Christians at all. They're just doing it because they can make money on it. The whole, the whole commercializing of, of, of Christ and Easter is a difficult thing to reconcile. But they haven't been able to twist communion to such an extent. And here's why. Because really, other than in the random zombie movies, eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ is frowned upon. But not for us. Jesus said this. He literally, the words of Jesus Christ, listen to this, John 6, 53 to 56. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. This is where... The Catholic tradition gets the, gets the tradition of what's called transubstantiation, where the elements literally become those things. In the Protestant tradition, we don't believe that there's actual transformation of those things. They're symbolic, but it is not something to be taken lightly. It is a powerful act. Taking communion is a powerful act. It is such a powerful act that there are elements of society out there who do take communion and they twist it. Anybody ever heard of a place called the TST? Does that ring a bell with anybody? What if I said the satanic temple? Yeah, they want you to hear TST is putting on a parade today. They don't say the satanic temple. If you hear it, that's what it is. And they are putting up statues in parks There is a TST, Satanic Temple, here in Littleton. Do you know that? They're all over the place. And they are gaining traction, and they are gaining ground, and they are having book readings in public libraries. Here's why I bring this up. Because many churches, the Catholic Church is a specific target for theirs, but other churches have had to take the consecrated communion elements, okay, the wine, the bread, And they've had to put security around it when they're disposing of it. Because TST people will come over and try and steal it for use in their ceremonies. Why? Because they know there's power. There's nothing powerful about the element itself, but it's been set aside as holy to be used for that purpose, and that matters. And it matters enough to where people who are opposed to everything that Jesus stands for, will steal it to use in their ceremonies. It happens. The Mason's Lodge. could do an entire teaching on the Mason's Lodge because I know a lot of heads pop up. Many of us have known people involved in Mason's Lodge, but it is is deceptive and demonic to its core. 
If you have questions about that, see me afterwards. But they hold communion at Mason's Lodge. They call it black communion. Most often they do it with white wine instead of red wine symbolizing the blood of Christ. And they twist it just enough to make it a celebration or or, um, essentially a denial of Christ's divine nature. The world, even those who are opposed to Jesus Christ, understand the power of what we're about to do. And so we don't take it lightly. Communion is a powerful act. We take in communion together as a body to symbolize and to demonstrate that we are one in spirit with him and with each other. That's why we do it. The word communion itself isn't found in scripture. But we demonstrate our union, our communion with each other every time we take it. It should remind us of the sacrifice of Christ. And it should remind us how we are the bride of Christ. And we are waiting for his return. Paul uses the words, he calls it a common sharing of the spirit. You ever looked at communion that way? It's a common sharing of the spirit. Of the spirit. I want to read one last scripture before we begin communion. 1 Corinthians 11. Again, this is Paul. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is why we do communion together. So as you come forward to receive communion, please do it with a humble heart, a repentant heart, and a full understanding of the significance of what you're doing. So we are going to move into that communion right now. And I think most of us know how we do it here, but we'll have two stations up front, here and here, and we have wine and bread and gluten-free crackers. You just dip it in there. But give, give thanks that we can celebrate his death and resurrection, yet both of them. We can celebrate it and his victory, which he then gave to us. In the back, we have self-serve, and that's juice back there. If you'd rather have juice and serve yourself, you can do that. But I'm just going to pray, and we're going to move around and begin that. If you need to pray, we have prayer team in the back. Look for somebody with a lanyard. But let's engage in this worship with just a joyful heart of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much. We are so thankful that we can come together in a place and a time like this and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Celebrate the great supernatural love that you showed for us. Those who embrace it and those who deny it, you showed the same love for all of us, wanting that none of us should perish. And you gave your son to make that opportunity for all of us. So, Father, I pray that none of us take this lightly, what we are about to do. 
I pray that if there's anyone here who is on the fence or maybe has not embraced that gift, that this might be the day. This might be the day. So, Father, I pray again that your, that your supernatural peace, your mercy, your grace just floods into all of us. Help us to be the reflection that you've called us to be. And Father, we are so thankful for who you are. We're thankful for who you say we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.